Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Betting Above the Rim podcast, episode 33. Today's date, February 28th. In today's podcast, we're getting to five topics. Number one, we look at the fallout uh, between the controversial ending between the Knicks and the Pistons. And I'll give you some of my take as a coach, as we did have a very frustrated and understandably so Monty Williams. Second, we'll stay in the East. It's starting to get jumbled now, folks. Spots four through eight are getting tight. We'll take a look at where they stand right now and where I think teams will end up in the Eastern Conference in those four through eight slots. Next, we go to the college game. We look at the Houston Cougars off their win last night versus Cincinnati. Now the number one team in the country. What makes Houston so effective? And can Houston finally cut down the nets and win a national championship? Next, speaking with uh, Houston and Calvin Sampson, I look at the six best coaches currently today in college basketball who have never won a national championship. And I'll list them six to one. And lastly, I'll give you my all-time team and lineup for the L.A. Clippers. And let's get started in a crazy game that took place Monday night between the Pistons and the Knicks, in which the Knicks won 113-111, and really a wild game in which the Detroit team folks had starting to play better basketball, but it's the ending that everybody is talking about that was really controversial uh, in regards to a, a non-foul called on Dante DiVincenzo when he kind of went at a sword Thompson bang-bang play. and something that's really frustrating as a coach. So for me, before I get into my thoughts and my comments on it, let me allow Monty Williams to take the floor. Here's Monty Williams in his post-game conference at New York. Oh, this is a doozy. The absolute worst call of the season. No call, and enough's enough. We've, we've done it the right way. <clears throat> we've called the league. We've sent in clips. We're sick of hearing the same stuff over and over again. We had a chance to win the game, <clears throat> and the guy dove into Asar's legs, and there was a no call. That, that's an abomination. You cannot miss that in an NBA game, period. And I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of our guys asking me, what more can we do, coach? That situation is exhibit A to what we've been dealing with all season long, and enough's enough. You cannot dive into a guy's legs in a big-time game like that, and there be a no call. It's ridiculous, and we're tired of it. We just want a fair game called, period. And I got nothing else to say. We want a fair game, and that was not fair. I'm done. And those are the comments from Monty Williams, a very frustrated Monty Williams in his post-game news conference 
at Madison Square Garden after that 113-111 loss by the Pistons to the Knicks. And as a coach, you understand his frustration, right? You you get a lot of different things from referees, right? Uh, the one thing from a referee will say to you, hey, if it's a foul in the first minute, it's a foul in the last second. Or you let the referee say, hey, we're not going to decide it. We're going to let the players decide it. And Monty Williams, who is really, you know, taking over a tough spot here in Detroit. Let's be honest, folks. Detroit is playing better basketball. What I liked about what Monty did is Monty defended his kids. Now, he's probably going to find, maybe not, I wouldn't find him because he wasn't wrong. I'm a Knicks fan, folks. That's a foul. Plain and simple. If Dante DiVincenzo would have went straight laterally across, I could see it. But he went into Asura Thompson's knees, which, one, you could have got seriously hurt, to get the basketball. Now, the referees are going to say bang, bang, play in the heat of the moment. We don't want to decide it. You know, maybe a sword should have did a better job of grabbing the ball and securing it. He kind of fumbled it slash dribbled it. But at the end of the day, it's a foul. So the NBA has got themselves a little bit of a problem here with referees at ending of games. And I've said this, and we talked about this with the Knicks-Rockets game in which Jalen Brunson got called for a foul uh, against Holiday in which they won the game, which, by the way, just, just happened. The NBA denied the response by the Knicks, basically saying that it wasn't like an egregious error in regards to not understanding the rules. It was a missed call, a.k.a. human error. And that is human error. But to me, when you get down to it, here's what I think. Last minute of the game, every play can get reviewed by the eye in the sky, right? The replay center. They're watching what's going on. They can see it. You know, once that happened, they could have went to a, a review uh, on the and one by Josh Hart. And they, I mean, it would have pissed me off as a Knicks fan, but they would have turned around and said, nope, we got a foul, put time back on the clock, Asura Thompson to the line. Now, the one thing people want to talk about is the fact that Asura Thompson was one for nine from the foul line for the last three games. So there was no guarantee that Asura was going to make one, if not both free throws, which means we could have, this in the whole situation, could have been a moot point. But at the end of the day, if we're going to have the replay center and we're going to have these things take place, we have to do a better job. they got to do a better job with the with the uh, the review system, right? They get one and done. I think they should be able to do it. Uh, everything, the last 36 of the game or last minute of the game should be decided, obviously, by the replay center. If they see anything, they can buzz down to the officials, buzz down to the court, stop the game, make it the right way. And therefore, we'll end with that. That being said, though, remember, the, the two-minute report, which the NBA comes out with every game, last two-minute reports of every game, do know that they did say there were two missed calls on Jalen Duran that could have decided the game. One was a foul and a shot, and another was an offensive rebound. That means there could have been another four free throws for the Knicks, so it still could have been a moot point. We still got to do better. We have the technology. Let's use it the right way. Let's stay in the Eastern Conference and look at the Eastern Conference standings right now uh, as we kind of get towards the last, you know, I don't know, 20 or so, 25 games of the season. Obviously, listen, folks, one, two, three are set in, in, in Boston being one, Cleveland, Milwaukee in that two, three spot. But then this is where you get crazy. Think about this, folks. 
I, I go by the loss column. Two-game loss column between the Knicks, Heat, 76ers, Magic, and Pacers. Now, ordinarily, folks, you wouldn't think that this is a big deal. But ever since the institution of the play-in tournament, becoming a top-six seed really becomes of great importance because you want to put yourself in the best position possible. So when you look at the East, where do I see these teams lining up, right? Right now, if you just base it, just base it on, let's say, something like Tankathon, right? You got to look at Orlando and Miami, right, as two teams that I think could make a run and move themselves up into the top six. Why? Orlando's got the easiest uh, strength of schedule left, according to Tankathon, the rest of the way. There are 23 games, right? If you look at uh, the the fourth easiest odds in the East, then you look at a team like Miami. So to me, Miami and Orlando, teams that should move up. Teams I think should slide down and may be in that uh, 7-8 slot. I know this is not popular. People are going to think, I think it's, it could be Indiana. Indiana with the third toughest schedule the rest of the way. Uh, right now they're sitting at that eighth spot. I don't know if they slide themselves up because they have the hardest schedule out of all these teams I've talked about. I think New York will find a way to be in the top six because I think they're going to get Mitchell Robinson uh, back probably by maybe the middle of March. Uh, OG Ananobi should be back around the middle of March. Julius Randle is a little bit different. And the Knicks, uh, who have right kind of the middle of the pack, they have to start being better, playing better. Two and six they are currently since the uh, the trade for Alec Burks and Boyan, uh, I say uh, Bogdanovich, I should say. Now, the team you got to watch, folks, is Philadelphia. And I'm concerned with the Sixers because of their state of play and the fact that they're so reliant on JoJo. They're so reliant on Joel Embiid. They're not playing well. And this is a team that I think is going to struggle down the stretch. They're going to tread water. They're literally going to tread water, folks. And I know they have the fifth easiest schedule left in the Eastern Conference. I don't think it matters. They're going to tread water. They're in deep trouble. So to me, you look at Indiana, right? You look at, uh, obviously, um, Philadelphia, right? You got to look at those two teams as teams that I think are going to be in deep trouble. I think they end up in spots seven and eight, which means that is the play-in round. Let's move on to the college game. To the University of Houston, the Houston Cougars, newly now the number one team in the country as of Monday. A Houston Cougars team that's really done a great job under Calvin Sampson. Calvin Sampson, who I think is an outstanding basketball coach and has done this for a long time, folks. And these are the glory days again for Houston since the Five Slamma Jamma days. You know what Five Slamma Jamma is? We'll talk about it on Monday when I give you my all-time Houston Cougars lineup. You'll learn a little bit of basketball history, kids. But this team has really played fantastic basketball after losing their first two games in the Big 12 at Iowa State and at TCU. Why is that? Folks, they get up in you and defend better in the half court than any team I've seen in about 20 or 30 years. Now, they don't play the the, the the Tony Bennett, Dick Bennett packed line defense, which is 
forcing teams to take contested two-point shots. They get up in you. They defend you. They go over ball screens. They hedge hard. They rotate from the backside, and they make you skip it across the floor. And they get their hands on more basketballs, more deflections than any team in the country. And I think that is something that is um, important because you want to um, get as many deflections as possible. Now, when I used to coach, I used to think about this. If we can get about 0.8 deflections per minute, that's outstanding. And this team, I would dare say, is one of the best at getting their hands on balls and disrupting your offense and pushing your offense far away from the basket. So if you look at their their recent games, right, 82-76 win that they had on uh, Saturday at Baylor in an outstanding game in which Houston was up by 16 points, right? And then they obviously had to come – they had to make a little bit of run of overtime. There was a 75-68 win over uh, uh, BYU. Now, the Iowa State game, that was the first game they played. It was a 73-65 game in which they shot the ball terribly, um, to, I'm sorry, to, to in order to win that game. And I think I think that score is flipped. It should be Houston 73, Iowa State 65. Uh, but Iowa State, they beat them in the first game, our mistake on that. And obviously, Texas Tech, they beat 77-54. They lock you up and defend. Now, I do know that they did not cover the spread last night. Uh, but here is why they're good. This guy right here doesn't get enough credit, and that's Jawan Roberts, kind of the lefty junkyard dog, jack of all trades, really did a great job uh, on the baseline and in the high post in their offense versus Baylor. Next, when you start pulling up these guys, these guys are dogs, right? Look at look at the, 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 the amount of pressure you see there. Francis, number five, the big man. Uh, pull that back up, Matt. Uh, Francis, the big man, number five, uh, their, their setter, shot blocker. You have Emmanuel Sharp, 21 there. And then you obviously have Juwan Roberts behind her, three of, of the of the key cogs. Uh, and then you go to the backcourt, right? We talked about Sharp. We can't say enough about Jamal Shedd. I know he was not really good last night versus Cincinnati, but Jamal Shedd is the leader of this team. He is the spark plug. He is the point guard. And when the games get late, they put the ball in his hands. And how about this guy right here, LJ Cryer, transfer from Baylor. And this is why I think Houston is as good or better than they are last year because of his ability to knock down shots. So you got uh, Cryer, you got Shed, right? You you have Sharp, you have Dunn coming off the bench, right, as your guards. And then in the front court, you have Francis and you have Roberts. This team is absolutely loaded. They defend like no one's business. And if they score enough, this team will win the national championship. And they are firmly the number one team in the country. But, folks, they're the second best team, I think, in the country. I still think that belongs to the UConn Huskies. Let's move on to a nice topic when we get to March. Because March is about coaches, folks, right? We talk about, you know, the, the old phrase, right, January, February, Izzo, April, right? For Tom Izzo, how great he's been over the years in March. Let's have a fun topic of the top basketball coaches currently who have never won a national championship. Let's start with number six and Greg McDermott, who's done a great job at Creighton and really turning this team into a top 10, top 15 team. Now, listen, I love Greg McDermott. 
Do I think he complained to the officials too much? Probably. But if you get away with it, you should do it. Greg McDermott, number six, done a great job, folks. I will say this. I think Greg McDermott is leaving Creighton. He's a guy that if it's a, a big-time job, a, a SEC job, a Pac-12 job, a Big Ten job, hello, Ohio State, hello, Michigan, if you get rid of Juwan Howard, that man can flat-out coach Greg McDermott, number six on my list, number five, Shaka Smart. Now, you got to realize, folks, the Shaka Smart claimed the flame of glory was 2011 when he took VCU to the Final Four with that Havoc style. And he's evolved as a coach, folks. Remember, he went to Texas in really an impossible spot. A guy from the north going down south, he couldn't get it done. But he took over Steve Wojcicki's team and Marquette and has done a fantastic job. Tyler Kolick is his lead guard. And this team is the second best team in the Big East. And I do think a legitimate chance to win the national championship. How about number four? How about Matt Painter? Now, listen, I've got on Matt Painter and I've got on Purdue. But you can't take away what this man has done. You got to think about this, folks. Like, he took over for Gene Cady. Gene Cady. You don't know who Gene Cady is? Legendary coach, Gene Cady. And he's done such a great job of taking over uh, that program there uh, at Purdue, making them, let's be honest, the class of the Big Ten Conference. Next, let's go to Rick Barnes. Now, folks, Rick Barnes has coached at a bunch of places, and he has taken four teams uh, to the final, to the, to the NCAA tournament, and has done a great job here, folks. And if you think about it, listen, in the NCAA tournament, he doesn't win a ton. He's 25 and 26, right? But you got to think about coaching at Providence in the Big East in the, in the early 90s when he had to go against Cardaseca and Thompson and Calhoun and Bayheim and what he did uh, and P.J. Carlissimo, what he did at Providence, and then go to Clemson, a team uh, in, in the late 90s not known for winning basketball games. The ACC did a great job packing little John Fields. Then go to Texas. Folks, remember, he did coach a guy by the name of Kevin Durant. Great players he had in Texas. And now has gone to Tennessee and made Tennessee viable and a power in the SEC for the first time, you would say, since not even when they had Allen Houston. You may go back to the 70s when they had the Bernie and Ernie show. Don't worry, folks. When we talk about Tennessee's all-time line, we're going to talk about Ernie Grunfeld and Bernard King, a.k.a. Bernie and Ernie. Do your research, kids. You may not know about it. Next, number two, Mark Few. Now, Mark Few could easily be number one. And it was funny. I was talking to Kevin Walsh about this off on break last night. And he said, Mark Few may have done the greatest coaching job in the history of the NCAA. In fact, of taking a, a non-blue blood, small team in Gonzaga and made them year after year after year after year after year a team that can, can compete for a national championship. Down year this year for Gonzaga. But I will say this, folks. I think Gonzaga is going to find a way to win the West Coast Conference Tournament. They're going to get into the NCAA Tournament. And remember, folks, they, they go to Lexington and beat Kentucky by five. You don't want to see Gonzaga in the tournament because Mark Few is one of the best coaches in the game. 
I may say maybe in the last 50 years of college basketball. And that leads me to number one. And that's Kelvin Sampson. Kelvin Sampson, folks, has been around the block, okay? He's coached for a long time. Did you know that he did what a job he did at Washington State? How about having Blake Griffin, no, it wasn't Blake Griffin, uh, coaching at Oklahoma. Then he went to Indiana, got into some trouble, and got ran out of there. And then went to the league, NBA coach, as an assistant for Milwaukee in Houston, and then took over Houston in 2014. A Houston team that really had not done a whole hell of a lot until he got there. Got to remember, folks, the reason why he was went to the NBA is he got a five-year show cause penalty by the NCAA, meaning that he could not coach. So once he went into Houston, he got the practice facility name, and he quickly turned it around. Second season, third season, got them to the NIT, right? By the time he got them, uh, got to the top 25, first time since 84, five slam a jamma. Like I said, do your homework. 2019, 33 wins, advanced to the Sweet 16, and they've been getting better and better and better. Consider Jarish Walker, right, graduates. Marcus Sasser graduates, right? I'm sorry, Jarish Walker left early. But Marcus Sasser may be one of the greatest players since Fly Sam Jamma, and a top 10 pick leave, and they could be better this year. What a job. What a job by Calvin Sampson, who I firmly think is the best coach to never win a national championship. And, folks, he may not be on the list next year because I think there's a good chance he could get it done if he can find a way to knock out UConn. Let's end today's podcast by talking about my all-time team. Folks, let's do the L.A. Clippers. So for the LA Clippers, a team that everybody thinks is, is the, the, the little sister, little brother to the Lakers, they still have a rich basketball history. Remember, the LA Clippers were the San Diego Clippers before then. So let's start with our bench for the LA Clippers. Elton Brand, Ron Harper, World Be Free. We talked about him already. Danny Manning and Randy Smith. Let's start with Elton Brand, the big man from Peekskill, New York just outside of New York City. Great job. Now an executive uh, with Philadelphia. Two-time All-Star, All-NBA 2005-2006, 1999, 2000, rookie of the year, uh, 20.3 points per game, 10.3 rebounds, undersized power forward, rugged, tough, uh, really good player for a Clippers team that started to kind of turn the corner in the early 2000s. Next, we move on. To Ron Harper. You may know Ron Harper from his days with the Chicago Bulls or even with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but Ron Harper spent some time with the LA Clippers. And a Ron Harper would kind of people call him like the poor man's Jordan, athletic, lanky, 6'6, could defend. Wasn't a great shooter, but a, a really good uh, player that, that scored a, a good amount here in the NBA with uh, averages about 19 points per game. Five rebounds, five assists per game, five-time champion, all-rookie team, won his rings, all with Phil Jackson, with the Lakers, and, of course, with the Bulls. Next up, World Be Free. We talked about World Be Free, one of the more underrated scores of all time. Two-time All-Star, 
1978-79 All-NBA, uh, one of the more prolific scorers in the NBA, played with a bunch of teams, but did have some of his best seasons with the San Diego Clippers. Next up, Danny Manning. Everybody thinks about Danny Manning. Danny the Miracles, 1988 national champion with uh, the University of Kansas being coached by Larry Brown. But this guy was a phenomenal pro. Knee injuries kind of derailed his career a little bit. Two-time All-Star, 1997-98, sixth man of the year. Spent some time coaching, uh, was the head coach, I do believe, at Wake Forest at one point. Uh, and now I do believe he's on the staff at Louisville. Danny Manning, great, great, great player. More known for his college game, but had a really good pro game as well. And lastly, Randy Smith, two-time All-Star, 1975-76 um, All-NBA team. And, folks, remember, before they were the San Diego Clippers, they were the Buffalo Braves. So this is when they played in Buffalo. Randy Smith, 17.5 points per game, four rebounds, about five assists per game. Randy Smith, uh, and that rounds out my bench. Now, to the starting lineup, all time, for me, the coach of the L.A. Clippers. At the point, CP3, Paul George at the two. Uh, Kawhi Leonard at the three, Blake Griffin at the four, and then Bob McAdoo at the five. And first off, with CP3, one of the great point guards. I know people knock because he hasn't won a championship. 12-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA, 2005-2006 Rookie of the Year out of Wake Forest. Now just getting himself back from injury for the Golden State Warriors. About 19 points, 10 assists, 2.2 steals per game. Uh, the starting point guard for those great uh, Clippers teams being coached by Glenn Doc Rivers. Next up at the two, PG-13. Now, he started his career, obviously, with Indiana and then played had some time, obviously, in Oklahoma City. Really is etched as kind of the Robin to Kawhi Leonard's Batman for the Clippers. Now, nine-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA, 2012-2013, most approved, 23 points per game, six rebounds, four and a half assists, PG-13, one of the best two-way players we've seen in this generation. Sometimes I feel like he's underrated. Remember, folks, sometimes he gets busy in the playoffs. Remember that? Playoff pay. What a career for Paul George. Next up, Kawhi Leonard. You can talk about his injuries. You can talk about the fact he doesn't play enough. But Kawhi Leonard, when he's on his game, is one of the best players of this generation. Six-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, two-time champion, uh, two-time Finals MVP. Remember, once with the Spurs, once with the Raptors, a two-time MVP, two-time defensive player, you're one of the best two-way players. Uh, and when he is engaged, 25 points per game, six rebounds, 4.4 assists, his play as of late is the reason why I think the Clippers could come out of the rest of Western Conference. At the power forward, Blake Griffin, six-time All-Star, 2010-2011 rookie year. Remember, he, he missed his first year to an injury. Five-time All-NBA, the star player out of the University of Oklahoma. Uh, Played, I think, for Jeff Capel, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 21.6 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, 4.2 assists. Really was an athletic freakishly four that played above the rim. Don't think about the Blake Griffin you just saw last year with like the Celtics. This guy was absolute freak. And then at the starting center's job, I'm sorry, folks, this is the wrong picture. This is Randy Smith. This is supposed to be Bob McAdoo, but still bringing in Matt. Bob McAdoo, five-time All-Star, 1972-1973 Rookie of the Year, two-time NBA champion with the Showtime Lakers, 74-75 MVP, uh, played for the uh, Buffalo Braves, the New York Knicks, and also is known for his time towards the end of his career 
with the Los Angeles Lakers. So there is my starting lineup for the LA Clippers slash San Diego Clippers slash Buffalo Braves. So let's go back and let's relook at uh, my bench. My bench team for the LA Clippers, Elton Brand, Ron Harper, World Be Free, Danny Manning, and Randy Smith. Starting lineup of Chris Paul, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Blake Griffin, and Bob McAdoo. This has been episode 33 of our Betting Above the Rim podcast. For all things you need sports gambling, please download that Sports Grid app. Everything you need, pregame, in-game, post-game, props, predictions, and more for some of the best in the, in the industry. Go download it on Apple and Google Play stores. Next podcast will take place on Monday. It's March, so it starts to get heavy with college basketball. I'll give you my all-time team for the Houston Cougars. You'll learn about Fly Sam and Jamma. We'll recap a big week in college basketball. And remember, folks, next week is the last week of in regular season games in college basketball. So we'll, we will get you set up for that. For my producer, Matty George, Vinny, who does a great job with the graphics, and EJ, who helps with the stingers. This has been Coach Young. I'll see you next time. Remember, folks, it's smarter to be on Sports Grid tonight. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.